Let's pray before we look again at this passage. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for your word. And we pray that as we look now, we would see Jesus as he really is. Understand who he is. That we may respond rightly to him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many people have recognised down through the ages, that Jesus is a great and wise man. His wisdom, his pithy sayings, his amazing values that turn everything upside down, mark him out easily as one of the greatest teachers of human history. He is in the field, he's he's like Socrates or Aristotle or Descartes or Voltaire. I'm just trying to think of an Australian equivalent, but I can't. <laughs> Bob, I'm not sure I would do that, but anyway. A great human teacher who taught amazing truths that create a better and gentler society. And after looking at the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew's Gospel, you could easily be tempted to think that that's who Jesus is, that he is this great human teacher. But the question is, is that all that Jesus is? Well, in Matthew 8 to 11, Jesus shows a different side. He's no longer sitting on a mountainside and teaching. He leaves the mountains and he switches to action mode. And what we see leaves us in no doubt that he's more than just a great human teacher. Have a look again at verse 1 with me. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I'm going to turn the page. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. The first thing that we come across when we come across this passage is the willingness of Jesus to help those who are sick. He is willing. And this isn't a small thing that we should look at and go, oh, of course he's willing. The leper has no family claim on Jesus. In the ancient world, you cared first for your family, then your clan, then your tribe. That was their primary obligations And pretty much the same remains true for today. But what's more, the leper is poor and a weak outcast. So it's not like he's going to do anything for Jesus in return for being healed. Indeed, most people's response to a leper in the ancient world is to send them away for fear of catching the disease. For the term leper or leprosy in the Bible covers not just what we call leprosy today, but a whole range of skin infections, some of which were highly contagious. So the leper is asking if Jesus is willing to help him, and it's a genuine question. And when you see him kneeling before Jesus, that that symbolizes his weak position. He's coming with nothing to offer, and he has a plea for mercy. 
But the great news is, as we read on, that Jesus does have mercy. He says, I am willing. Jesus cares for the sick. And it doesn't matter that they're not related to him. He has mercy on them. And that is great news for the sick. Jesus is willing. But while we're looking at the leper, there is a curious detail that shows us the gospel in verse 3. Have a look again at verse 3 with me. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. So Matthew here records for us that Jesus reaches out his hand to touch the leper. Now, as we will see as we go on in the passage, this is completely unnecessary for Jesus to touch the leper. He doesn't need to do that in order to heal him. He could just say the word and the leper would be healed. So why does Jesus reach out and touch the leper? Why does he do that? Is it just an identification with the sick and the outcast? A comradely arm on the shoulder, perhaps? Or is there something else going on? Well, the answer is actually in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 13 and 14, which put, under Old Testament law, the leper under strict quarantine. They were cast out from where other people lived. But this was more than just a a health measure like what we're used to in COVID times. This was a spiritual measure too. The leper was classed as spiritually unclean. That is, not acceptable to be amongst God's people. But one of the curious laws of Leviticus in chapter 5 verse 3 is that if someone who is spiritually clean touches someone who is spiritually unclean, then they become spiritually unclean too. They become defiled. That is, when we look at our passage here, the same act, when Jesus reaches out and touches the leper that makes the leper clean, makes Jesus unclean. And now you can see why so many commentators see this as a hint of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. For at the cross, Jesus is treated as sinful and unclean spiritually, so that humanity can be treated as sinless and clean spiritually. He takes the punishment for our sin and the uncleanness that we have on, our, on himself, and he pays for it. And so in this detail that Matthew provides of Jesus unnecessarily touching the leper, we see an illustration of what Jesus is going to achieve later on in the book of Matthew when he dies on the cross for us. He substitutes for us and becomes spiritually unclean so that we can be spiritually clean. It is the good news of Jesus in a healing. And then Jesus goes on in the next healing to meet a man of great faith. Let's meet him in verse 8. The centurion replied, Lord, 
I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion was another man asking for a healing, but not for himself, for his servant. And the other difference is that his servant is not actually there. You see, the centurion believes that Jesus can heal his servant by just saying the word and he will be healed. Do you like it's an extra long remote control healing? Like we might control a drone many kilometres away, he can control the man's health many kilometres away. Just say the word, says the centurion. Such is his confidence that he's able to heal, that Jesus can heal. It is great faith in the power of Jesus. And in the next verse, Jesus commends him for it and points out how special it is. And of course, this great faith is not in vain, for in verse 13, the servant is healed by remote control, just as was asked. It is an amazing, supernatural healing. And now, in the verse that follows immediately, in verse 14, we have what is, at first glance, an anticlimax. Have a look at verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in a bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Now, at first glance, this appears to be a complete anticlimax. Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever and is healed. That's nothing, in our view, compared to healing a leper or, or the remote control healing of a, a paralyzed man, perhaps miles away. And yet in the era before you could pop some aspirin or pop some paracetamol or pop some ibuprofen and reduce your fever easily, fever often killed people. If we lived, say, 200 years ago, we would look at this passage and have a completely different reaction. We would look at this passage and go, wow, this person, Peter's mother-in-law, is on death's door. She is about to die. And yet, she is instantaneously healed and immediately starts serving people, which just goes to show how well she'd been healed, how complete that healing is. Far from being an anticlimax, this is a sudden transformation from death's door to delivery service in the space of moments. It's incredible. And then Jesus takes it to another level, again in verse 16. Look at verse 16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Now Jesus is healing the demon-possessed. These are not people infected with just a, a bacteria or a virus. There is something far more sinister 
and hostile dwelling in them. But Jesus casts out the demons with the same ease that he cures any kind of sickness with. Just a word. In fact, there's a summary statement at the end of the verse that says he healed all who were brought to him. Jesus, as we see from these verses, is clearly someone who's more than just a great teacher. He has power to go with his wise sayings. Amazing supernatural power that would make any superhero proud. So who is Jesus? If he's more than just a great human teacher, who is he? Well, Matthew actually, this was to fulfill what was next verse. Have a look. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. This quotation from Isaiah is key to understanding who Jesus is. If you look at your Bibles at home, you'll see that the quotation has a little letter after it. And if you follow that little letter to the bottom of the page, it tells you where the quotation is from. And Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. And Isaiah 53 is a passage that is all about the Messiah. God's long-promised king called the Messiah or the Christ. And it's a passage that speaks of the Messiah suffering on behalf of the people. Suffering in the place of the people. And so according to Matthew, Jesus is this person that was promised long ago, hundreds of years before, by the prophet Isaiah. The Messiah, God's saviour king, who's going to come and save the people from sin and all the effects of sin, including sickness. Now, friends, this means that we need to treat Jesus differently than we would a great human teacher. You know, with a great human teacher, uh, what do you do? Perhaps if you feel and marvel at their wise sayings, and then perhaps if you feel like it, you go out and follow their wisdom. That's what you do with a great human teacher. But how do you respond to God's saviour king? Well, the answer is in the name. Saviours, you trust to save you. And so the correct response to the saviour is to trust that Jesus' death on the cross does pay for our sins. And that we can enter heaven. And therefore we ought to stop pretending that we're good enough to earn heaven ourselves. And instead trust Jesus and his death to pay for it for us. And kings. Well, kings, you accept their right to rule over you which makes Jesus' words more than wise sayings of a wise man, but rather royal commands to obey. 
So friends, this year, in 2023, let us recognise Jesus for who he is. God's Saviour King, the Messiah, the Christ. And let's trust him as our Saviour. And then having been saved, for the evidence tells us, obey him as our King. For the evidence tells us who he is. So let us respond in faith and then obedience. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you from these words, from the account that Matthew, our eyewitness, wrote. We thank you that he was there, seeing not just the wise words of Jesus, but these healings. Amazing healings as well. And we thank you for the amazing power that Jesus had that demonstrated who he is. That he is the Messiah, your long-promised King. And we pray that having seen that, we would respond in the right way. That we would trust Jesus as our Saviour. And then having been saved, that we would obey him as our king. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.